locked in our stasis chambers that are our homes. It's Feed Your Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. Some accidental app timing for us on this one, man. Yeah, it's uh, crazy time outside right now. Nothing quite like an episode of Star Trek about uh, being trapped all by yourself and going and getting a little cabin fever and maybe having a little bit of uh, The Shining happen. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the only thing uh, perhaps more appropriate would have been uh, macroism. Oh, that's true. That'd have been even better. Killer diseases trying to murder everybody on the ship. Uh, maybe a little too close to home, but in many ways, a very similar episode of uh, women roaming the halls of Voyager armed with phaser rifles. Yeah, this one is definitely more Kubrick, less Rambo. Um, but uh, I don't Rambo. Come on, aliens. I was Ripley all the way in macroism. What What did we watch this week, Peter? Watch season four, episode twenty five, one. This is the first of what I would say are several Voyager episodes that focus in really, really strongly on the Seven of Nine and Doctor relationship. I and think we're past that point already, man. There, it feels like we've already had a couple. What was the one where she had to go and like meet him in the Da Vinci thing? Uh, that was them trying to solve a problem. Like it was the uh, the one where they had like the space. Um, uh, like science Interface, people who are space elf yeah. mangalas experimenting yeah. on them and you made the prediction even earlier i think than that that this was going to be a reoccurring theme and before we get too deep let's let's talk about that for a minute because again we're in season four episode 25 just shy of 100 episodes of voyager under the the production's belt um I can certainly understand the animosity that came from the rest of the crew with the addition of Jerry Ryan as seven of nine and for her to swoop in and take up so much of the spotlight. Like Picardo was there from the beginning as the EMH and and certainly clawed his own part of the show out with his bare hands. I think seven's been given a lot on a silver platter. And I'm not saying that, you know, the character of Jerry Ryan doesn't deserve it, but Man, if this isn't a vanity episode and and if I wouldn't be mad as hell if I was one of the other crew members to see stuff like this just handed over. I think I said when we started talking about season four that they tried really hard to obviously sell Seven of Nine to the viewer. Um, we've made countless uh, comments about how they uh, were leaning in 180% into Jerry Ryan's appearance to do that. But they also had the good fortune of getting a good actress who was able to actually carry a lot of what they were asked to do. Uh, looks like, uh, Peter, hold on one second. I said there's a tornado warning in this area. Give me one second. I'm going to check. Sure. We apologize. Back. <laughs> yeah, we, we apologize for the weather interruption. Uh, here we are two days later. Thanks for not giving us anything else to do, coronavirus. Uh, Joe, I'm glad to hear you didn't die in a tornado. Yes. Uh, you know, it's the Midwest. Sometimes you just got to go in your basement because there's a tornado. That's okay. I blame the Australians because no sooner than they were on the show talking about their floods, we got hit with some pretty nasty floods, and I know a bunch of people who had their basements destroyed. So that's the last time we let 
people who have just recently suffered terrible environmental disasters anywhere near us. I learned by watching The Simpsons never to uh, trust Australians. I don't know about you if you needed any additional work on that. $500 it is to buy us. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just a classic. All right, man. Should we uh, talk about some Star Trek here? That is what we're signed up to do. And in this episode, we start in what appears to be Seven of Nine in the mess hall, uh, going up to talk to Harry and Bellana. And uh, it's it's her kind of rapid fire asking them questions about them, but not giving them time to answer. There's some interesting questions that get banded around here. The highlights, uh, she asks Harry what his favorite sports are. Uh, he specifically mentions volleyball, which I forget which episode it was exactly, but we get introduced to Harry's volleyball regimen, which is a bunch of supermodels in bikinis. And we're told that this is like the earth championship team from like 23 something or other. So I think that Harry loves volleyball, not for the sport, but for whatever he's doing with the holographic representations of the players, which he said, by the way, that he had programmed himself. Like he had programmed an entire team of volleyball sex bots in his own time. We've said it once. We'll say it again. 24th century is freaky as hell. Uh, one of the other big questions there that Seven lays out is towards Bellana, where she says uh, something along the lines of like, what is your level of inner or how did you get involved with the Maquis? And then Bellana starts going on about how it was through Chakotay and before she could get any deeper in the story, Seven cuts her off again. And this goes on another two or three more questions before finally the emh cuts are short calls what we find out as a holographic uh, holodeck program to a halt it's a training simulation for her small talk and starts to scold her that she's not paying attention correctly i thought this was very interesting like so the doctor knows that harry's into volleyball and the doctor apparent how much about the maquis and the Maquis relationships with the organization does the doctor know that he would be able to program that information in later on. There's a whole sequence where seven's using the uh, holograms to try and like problem solve engineering issues. It's like, did the doctor really like program these holograms to have all of this technical knowledge too? It's definitely interesting. Like thought, like are these holograms based on what the, Doctor programmed in? Is it based on the computer's knowledge? Right. Yeah, because uh, the computer's always watching. Right. Computer knows about all of the people on the ship, and you're like, "Hey, computer, make me a hologram that acts exactly like Bellana Torres, based on your watching her every movement for the last four years." That's Maybe dangerous. It, That's how you end up with the uh, Moriarty's. It, it you know it's opens up those those. Uh, uh, space horror vistas. <laughs> Is there just a stock Bellana Torres um, psychological profile that is on file? And anytime someone needs a Bellana Torres holodeck character, it, it hits that shared database. Do you get to program your own? Like, is that kind of the the way they settle things? Like, you know, it's not cool to, you know, 
go as far as Reginald Barkley and like make senior bridge officers fools or or yield sluts hanging out under a tree. So like the common ground is like sometimes you need to have these people in there for training simulations or whatever. So like you get to make your own holodeck representation of yourself. And that's what any common use is going to draw off of. I mean, it goes back to also uh, the coworker murder simulator, right? Like, right. Did. Was that all kind of, you know, moment to moment hand by hand programming in a part of Tuvok or the Tuvok like pull on some sort of common database of personality understanding for each of these people that is collected by the computer, by observation, by, uh, you know, but every time they use the transporter, their brainwaves, you know, are probably <laughs> scanned. Like, are the holodeck characters actually like their souls? Like, uh, you know, it's. Oh, can... what if, what if, <laughs> what if they're not really holodeck characters and it's just old transporter buffers and those are just real people there in that moment until <laughs> they just get deleted. God, what was that comic I saw someone post? Uh, it was, a, it, was a, uh, it was a shot of of uh chief o'brien like at a computer and it's like when while while bored uh one day in the transporter room chief o'brien like deletes one of the <laughs> one of the crew members he had stored an old pattern buffer it wasn't that 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 sounds like a good one too but i think it was picard beaming off somewhere and then uh he's still on the transporter pad and he's like are, are you gonna engage or what and then uh o'brien's like no the transport was successful we just uh, the computer didn't uh, kill you yet. <laughs> Saying, you know, it, it just duplicates you and clones you. And the guy still there is the one that gets killed. So it, all sorts of fun things. I think for a coworker murder simulator, that was all specifically Tuvok programming the personalities of all those people in because um, it was a older character attribute for Neelix and Neelix took offense to the fact he was still cowardly because he hadn't grown his balls yet and was like hey listen you know let me rewrite this character with you a little bit but yeah this general practice stuff I wouldn't be surprised if it's like common profiles out there Uh, anyways the the moral of the story is that seven of nine is terrible at small talk and she does not seem to have any desire to get better at it it's her usual disdain of anything that has to do with being human or, you know, being polite or showing common courtesy stuff that we've seen many times already uh, out of seven of nine. Although this time, refreshingly, the doctor is uh, right in her face about how she has to learn all of this. Um, it's uh this is a quality episode for uh, Robert Picardo in particular. And I'm not just mentioning that because of the awesome cameo that we got uh, from him to celebrate episode 100, which we'll mention again at the end of the show. But uh, he uh, he's definitely taken the mentor, psycholo- you know, uh, counselor role, I would say, in his interactions with Seven and what he's trying to do here. Would you would you say that's accurate? Yeah, and it's it's cool because it's not something that was ever verbally stated uh, a need for him to do. It wasn't a task handed to him by Janeway. It's been such a slow process and such an earned process of him becoming human and not being just a gruff 
toaster, you know, medical toaster, him turning into a real person with feelings and all of this other stuff uh, to the point where he was so comfortable with it that that he's taken it upon himself to identify Seven as someone who was in a similar situation and begin trying to tutor her. Uh, and I love, again, that, that there was never a turning point. There was never a, and now you're a real boy and now you have a soul. It It's just, it's been three, I'm sorry, four years of it. And it works. It's good. Yeah, it's it's something we talked about when we started reviewing the show is that he he stands out above everyone else as having a character that's really matured over the course of the run of the show. And this is a perfect, perfect example of that happening. How how do you think that actually went about? Because there's only so much he can do. He needs scripts to support the actions. Right. And I guess to a certain extent, like there's you could read a line any way you want. You could read any line hostile. You could read any line compassionate. So I guess if he's had this own narrative in his head that, you know, I'm going to make the EMHB more human, he could tone down the snarkiness and the standoffishness uh, that certain lines could have made themselves available. Maybe I've read in uh, Memory Alpha, it seems like he puts a lot of like dialogue input and suggestion in. I think he's really had both hands on the steering wheel for the character and that the end result, someone really caring about what's going on. Um, this is a nice example of it. I guess the other one would be Tuvok uh, because Tim Russ was certainly vigilant with uh, what what is Vulcan, what is not Vulcan. But I think Tuvok such a static character that you're not really going to see that kind of growth potential. Yeah, I I think he cares at the same level. You're correct his role is much more defined. I guess that's, I guess you've already just did say that, didn't you? Like he's a Vulcan and therefore what a Vulcan is, is already kind of laid out. He's already at his end game. Yeah. Like that, that's it. That's what's up with him. So anyway, the, the plot moves forward. There is apparently a Mutara class nebula, whatever that is that lays in front of our intrepid crew that they're going to go ahead and uh, head right through. Um, it's really, really big. They make a, a point of like talking about how fucking big it is because it's the biggest. It's very big. It's not the to... biggest. Like, well, okay. So there's going to be a danger later on associated with it. But uh, what was it? The swarm was the last time there was something that could have added additionally, like up to a year onto the voyage that that Janeway absolutely scoffed at, like. I the the size of this nebula I don't think was really a detriment when it came to the level of risk it possessed or yeah it, it posed and that she met head on. Um, I do like the astrometric astrometric shots that we get later on with yeah, uh, actually some nice framing CG this for the time period for sure. Absolutely. The danger comes into play when they start cruising through the nebula, you know, at half impulse or whatever. And then uh, we get treated to something that I've enjoyed for the last several years. And that is uh, Kate Mulgrew's complete inability to do pain acting <laughs> strikes again, <laughs> you know, and this time with the vengeance, because not only is she unable to support the load that the scene requires, but the set does not either. No. When they hit like the pain field. She rocks to the side and grabs a portion of the railing next to the the recessed command seating area 
and like the whole thing just wobbles and in that moment the bridge set looks so fucking cheap because there's these <laughs> heavy ass space steel railings encasing this thing and she touches it and there's got to be a good two inches of sway on this thing she almost takes the whole set down with her i the entire episode is absolutely an exercise in cost cost cutting this is a this is a budget saver right second to last episode of the season uh you know we we're trying to make it to the end of the end of the season here we don't got much left we gotta we gotta make the the whole order uh this one i think we're just gonna use our existing sets and we'll make up action here and there and otherwise we're not going to be spending a lot and boy oh boy do you feel it over every step of the way but that makeup is pretty legit uh they hit this this danger point as they approach the nebula and everybody starts freaking out. I think it actually starts with Harry Kim, like grabbing at his throat and people are like, what's wrong? And he's like, I don't know. I don't feel good. They're like, you should go to sick bay. And <laughs> yeah, dude, social distancing, <laughs> not <laughs> feeling good. Got an itch in your throat. Get the fuck out down with sick bay, man. This is what I me. like. This is what I like about the show is that people aren't too proud to say, no, I'm fine. He's like, yeah, I think I should get the fuck out of here. And then it hits everybody else. People start dropping and these radiation burns start appearing on people. And I would say the burn makeup across the board looks good. There's one guy in the back who who's really going to get it. His face ends up looking like uh, overcooked bacon, whereas Kate Mulgrew uh, or uh, Janeway comes out with this little blemish on her face, which um, in my high school years and even now to a certain extent, like uh, true to Star Trek nerd form, I get some pretty bad acne and she gets this thing on her face that looks like a dead ringer for this. It's like some cyst action I used to get on. So I really I connected with that moment. Uh, I felt for Janeway on that. But this dude in the back just gets dropped and like his ears melted off and like half his face is gone. It's some gruesome stuff like, yeah, it's bad. Voyager really does not pull any punches when it comes to gross ass physical maiming. The problem is that the ship um, is encountering a special type of radiation in the in the nebula. And that special type of radiation is apparently invisible, incapable of being stopped by shields and the hull uh, and will kill everyone except for the fact that uh, they can put them all into stasis tubes, right? Like that's, it's so confusing to me like that this, they kind of get from A to B when they start talking about this is that all of their technology won't stop the radiation from getting them except for the, for the stuff that will. I don't know why stasis tubes will work and the fucking giant shields and hull on this ship somehow don't. I guess that's what I'm not fucking understanding. It is ridiculous. But to be fair, my answer to so many of the dilemmas that we have encountered in Star Trek Voyager has boiled back down to uh, the very juggalo tech we are going to employ here. And that is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I figured you would appreciate that. They seem I, to it, have kept it. <laughs> it is a hollow victory. I'll I'll tell you because, like you just pointed out, like it makes no fucking sense. If if the shield plating can't stop it, if the ship shielding can't stop it, 
what is a two inch thick piece of steel? Not even two inch thick piece of steel. Like half these fucking stasis chambers are just glass anyways. Like physically, it seems silly, but I did put my notes like there's all this concern, like the ship is going to be run without any real crew for over a month. Like, yeah. Now would really have been a time to be self-aware and be like, do we roll the dice and employ that old uh, minor technology from the thaw and like still have a shared consciousness where the crew can interact and, you know, deal with ship systems. And maybe hopefully we won't develop a psychopathic clown and <laughs> a fucking torture us and, and all this other shit. Let's cross our fingers, guys. But uh, I really think that the MacGuffin in this episode should have been some sort of a psychological threat that putting the crew to sleep would have been uh, them being asleep and not being actively conscious protects them from whatever the bad thing is. And, And seven of nine is immune to the bad thing because of Borg implants and a different way of thinking in the EMH, obviously. Uh, space radiation was a real sloppy fix for this. Um, we, we get some, some good discussion once the option is put on the table that, Hey, the, the only way around this is to put you guys into stasis. We get some background information that, uh, there's some Starfleet crews that have been, uh, in cryo for, years a a month seems bad but you know they've done years like that seems like a really interesting thing to uh to to flesh out uh you know you pointing out that it's silly that these pods would stop the radiation is a good observation i in the moment i was too hung up like i think they named that there's 150 crew members at this point right correct yeah that means you have to build 150 pods yeah and they do it in like no time flat right and we see like one goofy shot of all of them in the background i think at one point where did the resources to build 150 pods come from like that in and of itself is is ridiculous i know at this point the show is beyond worrying about exactly how many photon torpedoes or how many pounds of food or how many you know, shuttlecraft they have because it's just it's it's sloppy. There's there's bad continuity there, but 150 pods fabricated overnight like that's and then the space to put it all they put them in like a deck 14. And like you said, you get a shot like deck 14 appears to be actually two levels and they've just got tons of these stasis pods laid out. Um, there's a little scene in there where Tom and Harry are getting laid to rest in these things. And Tom's like super apprehensive about this. And, you know, I don't do good. And they kind of hint at claustrophobia. And infuriatingly, last episode, we had tons of like character growth for Harry Kim, where he was very self-aware of all the shit he had gone through. Right. He even mentions, uh, you know, dying in space one time. Yet here he is about to get into a fucking stasis pod for a month. This Harry Kim, the same guy who was tortured, like hardcore tortured by the fucking clown in the thaw shows zero fucks about getting into (laughs) anybody in this crew should be a little gun shy about getting in a stasis pod. It should be Harry Kim. 
huge squandered opportunity for him to like have some PTSD, be like, ooh, I really don't want to do this. And them being like, oh, Harry, it'll be fine. We promise you won't get circus tortured again. (laughs) We swear this time we've worked out the bugs. There's no problems. It's going to be fine, buddy. Balana too. Like Balana went through some shit in there. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there's there's zero self-awareness, but that is... That is normal. Like we we remarked on Harry having like this sudden realization that he has a backstory as being particularly unique and interesting because the show never seems to fucking bother with that, you know, and it's quite yeah. distracting in a way. Um, and, and so this is kind of what we're used to, unfortunately, you know, this is what we're used to. Yeah, the honeymoon period of being away from picard might be wearing off a little bit <laughs> already just one week just it took one week of be like oh wait no this show uh has problems <laughs> i forgot Oops. yeah uh now i am keeping things in perspective because i am still unfortunately watching picard and i'm not gonna burden anybody with what's going on there but suffice it to say one is still infinitely better um there is a scene between the doctor it's kind of like a three-way scene. It's Doctor, there's one part with Seven and Janeway where they're like, you know, for us to go, this is a big nebula. For us to go around the nebula, though, would be a year detour. Or we fly through and it's a month. And, I, you know, obviously they're trying to tell an exciting story and she's going to have to take risks because she's the trap queen. But, like, this really seems like the right time to say we're going to have to bite the bullet. Um, let's keep in mind Kess saved like 50 years or whatever on our journey. This is that one time we should add the extra 11 months on to the, the, the tour here, because like, you know, we talk about it all the time. You, you can't get through two weeks on this ship without someone invading or some other terrible ass shit going on a whole month with everybody locked up in stasis seems really, really risky. And under this plan where they fly through and everybody's in stasis, like anything goes wrong. It's not like you can say, all right, well, we got to fly out and reset the timer. Like you're stuck in the middle of this fucking nebula. And anybody who gets out of that stasis pod is going to be like crazy radiation burned to death. It just does feel like a risk that doesn't seem to be worth taking. If I'm being honest, you know, it just doesn't seem like this was worth doing. Like it's going to take them a year to go around well, fuck it. Like, you're, you've got 50 years. You don't know what you're going to run into doing that. And you know, like, you might just all fucking die because you want to take a shortcut. Like, yeah. this isn't you can't go home if you don't do this, which case, OK, this is eh, it might take a little while longer. I mean, I mean we're all going to be old and probably on the second generation of crew anyways, by the time we get home. Like, why run the ship through something, a radiation cloud that might destroy the ship if there's a power hiccup? And the whole crew, it gets booted out. I mean, it's going to be catastrophic. Everybody is going to die. Like this is if you're going to play your hand with this stasis technology, just put everybody under for the entire fucking trip and, and fly home with everybody in hypersleep. It's 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 real goofy again. Whatever. Uh, the plan is going to be, though, to leave the EMH up and running 
to administrate the ship. And he is going to have the assistance, like we said earlier, of Seven of Nine, who, for whatever fucking reason, is immune to the space radiation that not only fucks up the crew, but also starts damaging the ship later on. And as they're laying this plan out, uh, as Janeway's laying this plan out, I'm like, this is this is fucking terrible. Like the track record of seven of nine not obeying direct orders, like saying that the the doctor is in charge of her is ridiculous. She doesn't listen to the Chicote. She doesn't listen to fucking Janeway. And I mean, not that long ago, we've had very specific uh, episodes about her insubordination creating major rifts in the crew uh, in regards to the Herogen stuff. And rightfully, at least Chakotay's self-aware enough to go to Janeway after that thing and being like, you're crazy. You know, forget the fact she's former Borg. Like, she is insubordinate as fuck. This is going to be a real issue. This is like this the story arc for her for the season, right? Like, that, you know, she learns to be a team player and that sort of thing. And that's kind of what they're trying to do here. You know, like show that growth over the course of the character's you know life slash existence and uh you know the the i get what they want to do uh, it's just i'm kind of tired of it after 24 episodes of it yeah and I feel also like we've done it we've done this a million times and uh, it's, a, it's a sloppy setup again like you said like for only 11 months extra putting the entire crew's life in her hands like this just so many of these risks do not add up but they do it i mean in the end that's what they do and they set up this premise without really explaining it enough that's probably my biggest complaint right like they just do this kind of all this goofy stuff just to say all right we have our premise we've done it here it is and the the rest of the episode, I think, is better because it becomes much more psychological. Uh, it uses good camera effects and tries to create this kind of sense of isolation and space that so infrequently happens in Star Trek. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of cool when they when they lean into that idea. Uh, but getting there is super sloppy and there's no other way to put it. It relies on a under underutilized and underexplained rationale for why. Uh, and then once they have established the why, um, it's still kind of just like not well done. Yeah, uh, they get everybody laid down. Um, they start uh, kind of creating this conflict between the doctor and seven. And the underlying reason there is going to be that she's starting to get a little bit of the space madness from all the isolation and the theme they're going to keep trying to trot out here is that because she was Borg and because she used to be part of such a large collective uh, that trying to adapt to a crew pool of only 150 was a big enough difficulty for her and that being fully alone uh, is going to be a real struggle. So as the voyage wears on, she starts getting more and more snippy with the doctor. And right when it seems like they're about to have a little war and say, all right, you stay on your part of the ship and I'll stay on my part of the ship. And we will just have as little to do with each other as possible. Shit starts going a little haywire. Um, there's some scenes here and there where the, some odd things start happening. She starts hearing some voices. 
uh, she starts thinking that she's seeing things. And in fact, she uh, is seeing the truth. Tom Paris, for whatever fucking reason, is able to wake himself out of stasis. We'll find out it happens four times. Open up his stasis pod, get out and wander around. The first time she finds him, <laughs> like the fucking doors are just like opening and closing on his head over and over. Like <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible ship feature. Um, and that's another, again, part of the, the sloppy writing on this. Like within 12 seconds of approaching the nebula, like everybody on this thing got super fucked up. Like I said, the one guy with the heaviest burn makeup, that guy actually died. Like his whole face was melted off. I don't know if he was like looking into a magnifying glass or something at the time that the radiation hit him. Yeah. Like he just got like a bad pocket of it or whatever. But yeah, Tom gets out. Just just no problem. It's fine. Everything's fine. Like I what's why are these guys in stasis? If he gets out four times and there's never any, you know, significant metal, why not just let Tom stay up and, and wander around the ship with him? But, uh, the fact he is getting out kind of builds this belief into seven that if she's hearing voices, there's a chance they're going to be true. Um, like I said, a, a big arguments about to happen between the doctor and seven when, uh, all the alarms start going off, we find out that there's been a rupture in the deuterium tanks, which was just a big deal because the whole point of demon was that they needed to get more deuterium. Uh, seven goes running down. She's going to sacrifice herself. Uh, and run into engineering and flip whatever switch to purge it, killing herself in the process, but she's willing to go down with the ship. Doctor's trying to run bypasses. Uh, she gets into main engineering and finds out everything is A-OK because the issue is this space radiation is fucking with the neural gel packs, which uh, this ship relies very heavily on. Another reason why they shouldn't have done this in the first place, like, you know, your ship has experimental technology that has like basically a biological function to your computer. And you know that, you know, aside from, you know, your Borg dominatrix and your hologram person, uh, everything that's biological on the ship's getting all fucked up. Like, maybe we should take the detour, guys. Let's just uh, go around the giant hazard so that our if your ship can't stand up to talaxian cheese (laughs) can't stand up to space madness yes then stay away from you know overwhelming radiation again it's only 11 months you're putting your entire crew's life in the hands of someone who a doesn't listen to what her boss tells her and b unreliable every now and then yeah (laughs) every now and then you know tries to call the board collective and to assimilate the ship like not worth the risks, but hey, what do I know? Um, she starts having some dreams. We get dragged into her dreams are basically bad CGI of her being photoshopped onto like Hoth planet to really sell the fact that she's feeling alone. Um, one of the other big risks I thought about this going in was like, you know, again, every two weeks, the ship's getting into like major shit. And and finding weird things in places you wouldn't think you would find a weird thing like T-1000 silver people living <laughs> on the demon class planets like you can't have life on a, a class Y planet. 
okay, well, here's this fucking crazy radiation cloud that you know nothing about that all of Starfleet's records have never shown you anything with radiation on the scale of this. Like, is it crazy to think that there might be creatures in there that can survive or hostile aliens or like all this other stuff that would put you at a real disadvantage if your entire crew was asleep? So I'm kind of like, shouldn't there be at least some sort of other alien floating around in there? And just about that time, uh, Voyager catches a hail and there's one lone trade ship floating around and he's looking for like, I don't know, sporks or tinfoil or something. Yeah, and, some uh, sort of like converter or whatever. Some some uh, convenient piece of technology that, of course, Voyager has. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Seven's like, well, I don't know. You got any toilet paper? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> sure. We got over the Corona thing a while ago. I got plenty of toilet paper. <laughs> he's like, all right, cool. Why don't you come on over and I'll beam you directly in instead of just, you know, doing a trade through transporter out. I'll bring you on the ship and not inform the doctor or anything else even remotely common sensible. Uh, and we get a okay looking alien whose name is, I don't know. He's just Mr. Close talker. Yeah, he's uh, he's Jack. <laughs> you know, he's he's the uh, he's the bad guy from uh, uh, The Shining. You know, he's the he's the space madness representation. Like, that's what he is. Uh, I get it. I get it. You know, makes sense. I will say that uh, he he does a good job. Like the the actor does a good job of being, you know, kind of moderately rapey and uncomfortable in his portrayal. So Before, uh, points for that. Yeah. Before it's clear that he's a hallucination. I'm like, this guy's story is not adding up at all. Like his whole thing is that he wants to be the first person to cross this poisonous nebula that his, his culture, his race has never been through it. They have no idea of what's beyond it. And that he's basically like Christopher Columbus. And it's like, man, what, what the, what about this part of space? Is it that 11 month detour is so <laughs> bad? Like, your entire fucking race does not know what is beyond the nebula. Uh, because you guys aren't willing to just fly around it. He does. He says he doesn't know what the Borg is. Then he knows what the Borg are. So his story starts falling apart pretty quickly. Um, he what what is it that allows him to basically run away and shake her? He, he gets a little too like, hey, we you and I can be friends forever. Can't we be friends forever? Don't you want to be super duper friends with me? And kind of like. Looks like he might get a little, I don't know, pansy, for lack of a better phrase. And uh, the after effect of that uh, is that he uh, that Seven pulls a Glock on him and is trying to lead him off the ship. And then he that's the first time she gets distracted by the idea that Tom crawled out of his his uh, tube and was like, Seven, help me. Help me, Seven of Nine. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Um. So uh, and then he gets distracted and that's and then, oh, no, he the bad guy escaped. Whatever will shall we do? We have and the sensors can't find him. I, I can I can understand the predicament in the writer's room. Like, again, as Ronald Moore talks about the technology is too fantastic. It sh creates so many plot holes. Like, why would she need to lead him back to the transporter? Why couldn't she just tell the computer to beam? him? Why are they even together in the first place? Why wouldn't she just beam him off? 
again, ultimately he's a hallucination. So it's her mind working the stuff out to, to make it make sense. But sitting at home as a viewer, you're just like this, this is ridiculous. This, none of this stuff needs to be happening. You know, the ship starts falling apart. He's saying that he's at the control panel and causing these problems. Uh, Seven ends up back with the doctor and says, hey, listen, here's what's going on. He's like, oh, shit, I can't find him either. This guy must have a cloaking device. You're going to have to go out and fix the ship and also hunt this guy down. So go arm yourself. And this is where we get a little macroism flashback where it's, you know, a strong female lead roaming the halls with a type three phaser rifle looking for trouble. I don't know what it was about the angles of the camera work on this, but I'd never really realized that the Voyager phaser rifles look different than the first contact phaser rifles. Yeah, that- yeah the design's always been a little bit different. Um, I'm, I was going to praise the camera work in this episode a little bit. I felt like they did a pretty good job of making Seven feel isolated just by the way they shot things differently, especially shooting things from above. Yeah, but so my a lot point of is these phaser rifles, it, it looks like they have big black dildos stuck on the front of them. And once I saw it, I could not unsee <laughs> it. In first contact, it's like a silver box all the way down. And in Voyager, it's like half rifle and then half big black rubber dildo just hanging off the front. And 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 look at it, and you won't be able to unsee. And it just becomes so distracting from that point forward. Like a lot of this episode is just a blur to me. Um, we get her roaming around. There's a couple exterior shots. Like, did you notice that uh, Voyager, while it's going through this nebula, it doesn't appear it's even in warp speed. Like the the nacelles are down. Yeah, it's they they never really do a good job of I'm going to say like explaining the uh, when they're at warp and when they have to do things in impulse and like is it take months to go through at impulse and it's going to still take years to rather go into warp like these are the details that don't take a long time to put into your episode to to help like flesh out the universe that Voyager is uniquely bad at ever expressing but they appear to be going through it at impulse as far as I can tell Normally stuff like that, I'd be willing to just not even mention. It's just there's so much sloppy situal situational writing in this episode overall. It's like Peter, it, if it's bothering you too much, you know, you we can just we can just go back to reviewing Picard. We know it's it's all right there on CBS All Access for us. We've kept up. When don't you want to talk about Picard? Isn't it, or 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 maybe we should embrace this occasional shittiness for what it is. A, I love a, dildo phaser rifles. There you go. There you go. I knew I I knew I knew I could get through to you. I knew I, I could speak your language. Uh, at some point, she shoots at uh she sees him. She encounters him back. And oh, I think she tries to like choke him out with like air. Uh, he says he's on the bridge. So she fucks up the bridge uh, controls and thinks she chokes him out. He ends up down in engineering. She starts shooting holes in walls. And eventually it starts becoming clear he's a hallucination. Uh, We have some further expressions of the hallucination in the terms of like Harry Kim. uh, Basically, the entire crew showing up to taunt her at one point or another with burns all over her face. Uh, But that's not the only crew member she's dealing with. She's got some old friends 
uh, swinging by to say hello. Uh, and they manifest as the world's worst board drones pop. <laughs> you talked about some cost cutting measures. These board drones are basically like children's costume in a bag. Halloween costumes bad. It's some white cake goth makeup, uh, a laser pointer kind of taped to the side of the head and then a spandex outfit with like circuitry printed on it. And I'm being funny, but I'm also kind of being true. This guy looks like complete crap. And I have to wonder, too, because like she's in a particularly tight cat suit for this episode. If whatever uh, guy they she, have. Is she ever not in a particularly tight cat suit? Like, was this I one know, tighter? It, it, <laughs> all I'm saying is if you're the guy playing the Borg and you had a fucking laser pointer, like highlighting wherever it is you happen to be looking at the moment and you're working around uh, Jerry Ryan in that outfit, like it had to be real hard to maintain eye contact and keep that dot from ever wandering below the neck level. I, I think that they were trying to get away with something with the makeup on that Borg drone by the fact that uh, it was being shot kind of in, like in the dark, if that makes sense. You know, it was kind of like a, the they were they were trying to cut corners by thinking no one would notice. But every everyone noticed. noticed. Yes, it was terrible. It was it, it looked like he was wearing Borg pajamas. It was really bad. Uh, we also have some other very cheaply inserted stock footage from first contact when like the turbo lift opens up and it's like, so, so basically the story they're trying to tell is uh, she's not good enough or maybe she should go back to the collective. It's, it's a mixed message or maybe it's each of the different characters showing up. It's like a Christmas story, right? Like the ghost of Starfleet crew or the ghost of Borg crew showing up to give her a hard time. She's overcoming her her, uh, you know, Borg isolation. I don't know how to quite. Ugh. Ugh. I, yeah. I, yeah. Like, the radiation fucks up the doctor. So then she loses her contact with him. And she's got to do it or she's got to do it alone. You know, like it's I get it. It was a noble attempt. Some of what they did was interesting. But if this this isn't the first fucking rodeo when it comes to this bullshit with seven of nine and I'm already and it's not tired the best of it. Yeah, either like this is the worst, probably the worst entry, I think, into the uh, seven has to grow personally. And that's the slap in the face is like we've been through this five or six times and it's like, OK, cool. So she's over the hump now and she's embracing her humanity uh until the next episode where she's scoffing <laughs> she's at the idea of again. Being, yeah like and she's telling the doctor she doesn't want to do small talk and it, it's stop <laughs> i don't need a bottle personal growth episode where we just reset it all by the end there's not enough power to go around they're 15 minutes away from the edge of the nebula she takes power away from the bridge crew's life pods and puts it into the engines, but then she feels guilty that they're going to die. So she turns off all the life support, but it's going to kill her and it's going to be a noble sacrifice. Like, I know you have at least two fucking spacesuits on this ship, right? <laughs> Go put a spacesuit on. You'll be fine. Go in a shuttlecraft. I know there's infinite shuttlecraft. Go in a shuttlecraft. Turn the life support on and that you can control the entire ship from inside the Again, it's it's splitting hairs, but it's stuff, you know, that they could be doing. 
this I this is a hard episode to give any fucks about, and it's hard to care about her personal growth. Like you said, the EMH has some some strong dialogue in it. It's not the worst Voyager episode, but it's again, like we just said, it's we've already seen the story and we've seen better renditions of it. Remember like episode five of the season when she goes on her field trip with Tuvok to the to the ship she was on Raven. with her parents, the Raven. Yeah. Remember yeah. that? Remember yeah. that was 20 fucking episodes ago? Crazy. Yeah, it's just I I I can't praise it. I, I, I'm in a weird spot with it. I'm in a weird spot with it. It's still better than all the shit that we endured with Picard and all of that. That goes without saying almost. But if they just couldn't get themselves out of this fucking weird gear that they felt they had to like live in where they had to keep talking about this topic over and over again. And it's, it's not Jerry Ryan's fault. She does a great job of trying to like sell her character's isolation and trying to mature through this. It's that she's been called on to do this six times in one season. And I feel bad criticizing her uh, like seven of nine as a character, because it's not the actress's fault. It's not it's not uh, Robert Picardo's fault as the EMH. They turn in good performances. It's I just I've seen this episode before. I've just seen it in different pieces, you know, in this season, 20 minutes at a time. And I didn't need to see it again. And I'm shocked they couldn't come up with some better thing to do with their second to last episode of the season. And to touch on what we said at the beginning of that episode, imagine if you're Garrett Wang or Kate Mulgrew or, uh, you know, any of the other characters in this and you see this script come out for another episode. And it's like, Jesus Christ, how many times are the showrunners going to have us sit on the fucking, you know, sit on the bench and spoon feed her another vanity episode, which is telling the exact same story over and over again. Like I'd be fucking livid. I don't blame anybody for being hostile towards uh, Jerry when she came on because you know, you're getting benched over this shit. Like it's a hard pill to swallow. I'm sure for the crew. Uh, And again, it's not her fault. It's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's a boring story, man. Yeah. They, they, they just don't know when to quit with this. And, it's unfortunate that we have to sit through this, but at least I can say that our next episode is a good one. What it, What is that one? Uh, coming up next is going to be uh, something called Hope and Fear. I see Seven and I see Janeway, and they appear to be stuck in some sort of a laser brig. An alien translator by the name of Arturus is able to finally decode the Starfleet message received by Voyager five months ago. Well, I'm going to assume by the fact they're in a fucking jail cell that this Arturus guy uh, is nefarious and shit goes sideways. But uh, I am excited to see what's actually in that Starfleet message. We have not talked about the hidden layer of uh, encrypted Starfleet command data in that in quite some time. So yeah, it's it's continuity for the season. Uh, it's a nice callback. And what if I told you that Arturus is played by none other than Ray Wise. Who's Ray Wise? Peter, you don't know who Ray Wise is? He basically plays the devil in everything that he's in. He's like the guy who always plays Satan. Let me see here. Uh, Was this the guy from Constantine? 
Now he wasn't in Constantine. Uh, but yeah, type Ray Wise into Google. You'll see this uh, guy. The right way to. It's a fucking guy from RoboCop. It's one of the fucking the best thugs. It's the dad from Twin Peaks. Yeah, he's he was the devil in Reaper. He also played uh, the the devil and uh, God is not dead, too, which is an entirely different conversation. Yeah, the right way to frame this guy is Leon Nash from RoboCop. If you've got RoboCop under your belt, you always need to have your RoboCop credit brought out to the forefront. But uh, yeah, he he plays the special guest star in this one, and it's it's good. This is a solid season finale for season four all the way around. Uh, it's going to do a lot of things that I think you'll enjoy. I look forward to watching it with you, my friend. Well, hopefully they do some really cool shit, because after a very budget friendly episode like this, there should be plenty of money in the kitty to to pull out all the stops. So. I'm excited. Uh. And I was also excited about the fact that we had such a lovely 100th anniversary episode last week. Um, who made that possible, Joe? Yeah, so we had a great time recording with Mike and Taryn from Hail and Well Met, obviously. The, you know, if you haven't listened to it already, please do. You should have before listening to this. And at the end of that, they let us know that uh, a number of supporters of the podcast got together and pitched in to get a cameo from uh, Robert Ricardo, uh, which if you don't know what cameo is, it's essentially a service where you can pay for a celebrity to do a video on your behalf. Usually pretty small, you know, mention a certain uh, reason for it. And, you know, in, in our case, it was. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Here is the bodiest Voyager story I can provide uh, <laughs> to you. Um, and well, I just we just wanted to take a second to actually thank on air a lot of the people that uh, contributed to that. Uh, Marcus Hall, Ed Doherty, Sarah Paxton, who apparently, you know, just doing our damn uh, 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 fucking uh, 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 Theme music with Ian just isn't enough. Also got to help us get shout outs from Voyager cast members. Uh, Jimmy Rickett, uh, Christopher Seals, Trey Campbell, and then Mike and Taryn themselves. Guys, thank you so much. It was awesome. Like, couldn't, it meant the world. It really did. Yeah, it was really, it was a a touching surprise and uh, appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And on that heartwarming note, everybody, we will see you next week with our season four finale, Hope and Fear. See you then.